of light Take away the dark of night Fill me with your pure delight Touch me with your hand God of grace Flow into this lonely place Listen as your children pray Take me as I am Healer of my heart Lover of my soul Maker of the stars, the earth, the sky Come and make me voice praises you alone, healer of my heart, lover of my soul. Emmanuel, lead me to the deepest world. The message tonight is entitled, Healing the Pains of the Past. Healing the Pains of the Past. Oh Lord, there's a work of healing that I beseech you to do amongst us. I ask tonight that that work of healing could be done and finished. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
I was sitting in a seminary class. It was the first class that I had taken in family counseling. The professor, an old man with white hair, was sharing with us the wisdom of the ages. He was telling us how the church is full of pain and how people carry the pains of the past in their hearts and how that disables them and causes them not to be able to function fully and freely in the body of Christ. He was saying, you'll look out on your congregation and they will look whole, but in fact, they're crippled. And if you could see them in the spirit, you would see them on beds of affliction. You would see them hobbling on crutches. He said, it's your job as a pastor to help them find healing for these pains of the past that continue to fester in their soul so that there's no deliverance that's day after day of of misery. And he said, you'll come with your program and you'll urge them to join up and sign up for your deal. And they won't do it and you'll get angry. He said, don't get angry with them. Recognize that those pains of the past cause them to be unable to respond to your program. Well, I listened and I was taking notes and I was thinking, this man is telling me what I need to know. Now, I had only been a pastor in a congregation for a short time prior to seminary. I spent one summer working as a pastor, three congregations, utterly frustrated and not knowing why when I preached they didn't respond the way I thought they should. So I was soaking up everything he had to tell me about how to heal the pains of the past. He went on to tell me, and this class of some 60 students, you'll hear some of the old timers say that what people need to do is pray, read their Bibles. I want to tell you that doesn't work. Prayer and reading the Bible may help them identify their pain, but it will not heal their hearts. The only way you can heal their hearts is to take time with them in a counseling setting and walk with them through their history and through their journey. And hopefully when you leave that church for another assignment, you'll leave behind people who've at least known that they had a friend to walk with them in their pain. He said, that's why at the seminary, you're going to learn about relational theology. That was the first day I'd heard that term, relational theology. And what he meant was that we were to take everything of the scriptures and apply it to the pains of people's hearts. Make it relevant to their situation. Implication being that this Bible is no longer relevant if it doesn't have a counselor pastor to apply it to people's lives. Well, I bought all of that hook, line, and sinker and said, yes, that's why I'm a pastor, to heal the pains of people's hearts. And I can do that by being a wonderful counselor, one who walks beside them, one who does not confront them with their sin. There's no need to confront people with sin when they already know their pain. It was more important for me then out of this message 
to be able to identify a person's pain and not their sin, because obviously their pain did not come from their sin. So as a young man, 24 years of age, I boldly ventured forth to take my first congregations to try on these dear people my skills and my tool basket full of ability to be a listener and a sympathetic ear and a counselor. And so I spent many hours sitting in the living rooms of my people, asking them to tell me their stories. And they felt much better when I, when I left. They, they always hugged me like a son, patted me on the back and said, you're just like my son, Pastor. Or you're like the son I wish I'd had, Pastor. I just feel better. I finally was able to talk about my pain. Their family had heard about their pain so long they'd stopped listening 50 years ago. Finally, they had a a willing young man who was there to listen to every pain and soak it up. I thought perhaps I should start tonight by talking about the pain of my heart. So I spent some time and and said, Lord, would you show me what are the pains of my past? I couldn't find them. They were gone. They were healed. I thought perhaps I should recount some of the story of that healing. I came to a place in my life where I was so utterly broken and so utterly pained that it was all I could do to stand in front of my congregation and preach. I pastored a large congregation in Rockville, Maryland. My life was so broken and so painful as my marriage was coming apart. In the midst of all of that, I lost a precious son. I didn't know how I was going to ever survive. And then in the midst of all of that, my denominational president fired me and separated me from the congregation that loved me and that I loved. And I went out from that meeting utterly broken, wandered for days, actually for three months with no work, moved to Dayton, Ohio. I'd go in the prayer closet and I'd wait before God. He'd say to me, what did I call you to do? Say, Lord, you called me to preach. Well, go preach. Lord, I don't have anywhere to preach. Except I was at that point made an associate pastor of a very large congregation, very wealthy congregation in Dayton, Ohio. Well, associate pastors didn't preach. And lo and behold, the senior pastor asked me to preach. So I preached. The Lord said, preach on sin. He said, Lord, I can't preach on sin. I have to preach on pain. I have to preach on how they can find healing. I have to be a pastor. Preach on sin. How do you preach on sin? To a sophisticated group of people. And I began trying to preach to a house full of people on sin. The people looked as though they had been slain. Some were angry. And I was promptly told by the senior pastor, if I let you stay here any longer, I'll lose my job. You're fired. So I was again fired. Spent 
several months waiting before God. All he'd say to me is, go preach about sin. I didn't have anywhere to preach. So I was invited to go to California. I was invited to take a very large congregation. It seat several thousand in the sanctuary. All kinds of programs going, and they'd interviewed many people, and they brought me in, and they interviewed me. And after the interview, they said, we don't need to interview anybody any, anymore. Will you take the job? Will you be our pastor? I said, let me pray about it. So I went home to Ohio, and I prayed. And the Lord said, preach on sin. I said, Lord, if I preach on sin, they'll fire me again. Preach on sin. So I got a phone call, and they said, what's your decision? And I said, I'll come. So I had a little brown Honda Civic that looked like a roller skate. And I headed for California, leaving my wife and children in Dayton, Ohio, to sell the house and come join me. Well, Balaam's donkey acted up all the way across the country, kept breaking down, and I'd end up spending nights in a hotel while they repaired my car. I'd walk out in the desert, crying out to the Lord, and he said, preach, preach on sin. I said, Lord, do you want me to go to this place? Silence. I finally got there. I drove into their conference office, and I went into the president's reception area. The stench was so bad. The smell was so physically bad. I was driven from the office. I couldn't stand. I'd die if I stayed in that office. I, I was able to stumble the words out. Could I meet with the president? No, I'm sorry. You'll have to make an appointment. No, he told me to call as soon as I got here, and you would usher me in. I need a meeting with him now. She said, I'm sorry, he's in another meeting. I can't disturb him. You'll have to wait. Could we make an appointment for tomorrow? I, I gagged out. No, thank you. And I turned around and walked out. And I got in my Balaam's donkey and headed for Ohio. Purred like a kitten all the way back. Called him on the way. Left a message and said, thanks, but no thanks. I won't be coming. I went back and waited for three months before God. Finally, the Lord said, go back to Washington, D.C. And preach. And so I moved from Dayton, Ohio to Washington, D.C. Started a church. Unfortunately, it was my church. A Robert Schuller positive thinking style church. I could not bear to preach on sin. I was going back to my relational theology roots from seminary. All I wanted at that point was success. And God, you told me to preach, now give me success. All of that came flowing out of a whole history as a child where my brothers would beat me up, take me out in the woods and leave me and desert me and child of five and six years of age, miles from home out in the woods with no way to get home and no idea where home was, in a forest so large and deep that I thought for sure I'd die. I learned to be a woodsman. I learned what it was like to be slapped and kicked and pushed and shoved and cursed and 
out of that grew a determination in my heart and a vow in my heart that when I grew up, I'd get even with them. And I'd get even with anybody that got in my way. That nobody ever again would stop me from doing what I wanted to do. That I would be someone feared and respected. At age 13, I basically left home for a boarding high school and never went home again. I worked and earned my own way much of the way. Working through college 40 hours a week, full-time, plus taking a full load. Success. That's what it's about. That heals the pain in your heart, doesn't it? If you can just be successful enough, if you can be somebody, if you can look right and act right, that'll take care of the pains of your heart, won't it? So those pains were shoved down and festered in my soul. Finally, in one of the churches I was in, a dear brother said, look, you need to get to a counselor. You're the perfect counselor. Now go to a counselor. I said, I don't have the money. He said, don't worry, I'll pay for it. And so I began serious training in psychotherapy to be certified in the state of Virginia as a pastoral counselor so that I could take insurance money. And I started a pastoral counseling practice. And as a part of that, I went to see a a counselor and became a part of a therapy group. In that group, I met a dear woman, Karen. Karen also had gaping wounds in her heart. She was married, interestingly, to a man by the name of Raymond. I never met Ray, but Karen and I became good friends. And when we both became certified, we decided to work together downtown and started a therapy group downtown and was very successful. Made a lot of money. Helped a lot of people. But then... My ministry work was growing too large, and I couldn't take the time. And so I dropped out of the group and periodically was in touch with Karen. Got a phone call. She was in the hospital. Please come. That was the message one of her kids had called. So I went quickly to the hospital to find that she'd attempted suicide I sat beside Karen's bed and I said, Karen, come on. You're a counselor. What's going on? You're supposed to know how to handle this stuff. She just said, Ray, it was like I was in a deep hole and I couldn't get out. The pain of my past just overwhelmed me and I just kept getting sucked down. I finally just said, I'm going to end it. And she took a bunch of pills. I talked with Karen at length. I listened to her pain. When I left, she said she felt better. Thanked me for listening to her. I said, hey, stay in touch with me. We're buddies. We've done counseling together. You're not alone. I didn't hear from Karen for probably three months. I tried to call her on the phone, but she was always in a counseling appointment. Got another call. 
Mom's dead. She committed suicide last night. She said in her note, Tell Ray I'm sorry. I wept. The pains are real. The wounds are real. The agony of heart is real. The walking of the floors deep into the hours of the night with an ache that causes you to cry aloud. The loneliness that sweeps over your heart. The bitterness that rises in your throat. Those are all real things. The hopelessness that overwhelms. And you say, how is it ever possible for me to get out of this? I might as well just be dead. I'm more dead than alive. Those wounds are real. And those pains are real. So certainly we don't heal those pains by pretending they're not there. But I also know you don't heal those pains by talking about them to a counselor. I know that you don't heal those pains by talking to a friend about them. Because when your friend is gone, the wound is still bleeding. But I have to tell you tonight, I can look back on all of those things and because I can be a sentimental guy, if I worked hard, I might be able to pull some feelings up out of all those things in the past. The rejections and the cursings and the the loneliness and the failures. Opportunities missed. But I have to tell you in all honesty, all that's in my heart tonight is peace. Just peace. I can't work up anything but peace in my heart. So how'd that happen? Well, it didn't happen by talking about it. It didn't happen by going to psychotherapy. It didn't happen by ignoring it. So where's the healing for the pains of our heart? Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 1. Therefore, and as soon as I read the word therefore, I'm saying, therefore what? What's the therefore referring to? Verse 25 of chapter 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our righteousness. I've discovered something that I know will not be new to you. But maybe we need to be reminded. All pain of the heart has its source in sin. Either another person's sin or my sin. Or both. All sin brings pain. All sin brings wounds of the heart. So if I want the healing for the wounds of my heart, I'm going to have to deal with the sin 
of my heart, or I'm going to have to deal with the sin of somebody else's heart, or I'm going to have to deal with both. That's fairly simple, isn't it? For me, it was a great deliverance when I finally was able to capture in my heart the reality that pain flows out of sin. And sin is deliberate rebellion against the Most High. Sin is separating my heart from God's heart. The act of separating my heart from God's heart is that a wound is created because I wasn't meant to be separated from his heart. And that wound that remains is like an open, gaping hole. And I can drive into that hole the semi of pleasure or the semi of being a victim or the semi of explanations and, and logic. I can open up my heart and I can pour in the balm of reason. But the hole only grows larger. Until I am willing to recognize that all pain comes from either my sin, someone else's sin, or both of our sin, there can be no healing. And in the scriptures, there is only one source of healing for sin. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the healing place for the pain of my heart. I'll show you that in the scriptures. Chapter 5, therefore, since we have been made righteous through faith, since we have been made righteous by the act of faith in repentance, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word peace doesn't mean the absence of warfare. That word peace means an overarching abundance of every need being met so that there is no room remaining for any hole of pain in my heart. There is only peace. There is quietness. There is rest in my soul. Tonight, if there is not peace or rest in your soul, it is because there is sin in your soul that you've not dealt with, or there is sin in another person that you have not dealt with. Now, how do I deal with the sin of another person? I forgive them. I release them. I forgive them. How do I deal with the sin in my heart? The pain of my heart. How do I deal with that? I repent. I repent for the unbelief. I repent for my love of pain. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you, when God took us on this journey to California, the first thing we did is go find a church office. Because you have to have the right office out there. 
And so close to us, there was this beautiful building. You walk in, and there was a large uh, foyer with a beautiful, thundering water fountain. (laughs) Clear glass up above. And as you walk in, the sunshine is streaming down on the palm trees. And you walk through this, and this is all lined then with beautiful offices. And immediately we saw one beautiful office, reception area with three or four offices, and it was available for us. We talked to the man who who had the office. He said, we really need to get this thing rented. We'll rent it to you for $1,200 a month. I said, it's a done deal. We can start the church right there in that office. We're on our way. We signed on the dotted line, one year lease, $1,200. I mean, it didn't matter because already we had a commitment for $50,000. The money would be coming soon. And we had another commitment for my salary for a year to carry us. We had our own money of some $30,000 in the bank. We'd cashed out our retirement. We'd we'd taken all the cash out and said, we're going to use that cash to start this new church. So right there, we had 50, 60, 70, 80,000 for church ministry. Plus, we had the money necessary for my salary. We were ready to go with this new church. And that week, we got the phone call saying, Pastor, I've run into difficulty, and I can't give that 50000 I pledged. Now, this was a man who had given thousands of dollars to support the church I pastored in Washington. He was a, he was a man that I trusted with my life. He'd sat in the, in the restaurant before we left. He said, I'll put my hand on the Bible. If you will take this opportunity and do this, I will give you $50,000 for this new church. You can count on it. Hung up from that, I was devastated, and the phone rang again. I said, that's God giving us a new opportunity. And it was the family who was going to pay our salary for a one year, and they said, Pastor, strangest thing happened. We were praying last night, and the Lord told us we could not give you that salary. Well, right there, 80,000 blew up in our faces. It was over. We're here. We've signed the lease. We have no income. We have a nest egg of $30,000. All right, that's enough money. Let's go for it. God knows what he's doing. He sent us out here. We're going to go for it. Oh, we told everybody we're starting a new church. We started moving, and the Lord said, stop it. I said, Jan, that couldn't have been the Lord. The Lord wouldn't do that to me. I stood that first Sunday in our beautiful home, Brand new. Jan and asked for gray carpet. It had gray carpet. Mediterranean style. I mean, it was a gorgeous house. $2,000 a month rent. Not to worry, though. God had called us and he was going to carry us through. There was a new church startup right across the street from us in the school. 
And I watched all the cars coming in that first Sunday. All I could do is stand there and weep because God said no. I said, okay, then I have to use the office. I'll go into business. We'll use the office as our business office, as our business address. We'll make money until God says yes. We immediately invested a good piece of that $30,000 in a new business startup, a franchise. We were set to go. We had our business office. We had the working capital. We were on our way. God said no. And the company went bankrupt, and we lost our investment. I could tell you the story. It goes on and on. It was catastrophic loss. Everything I tried to do, God said no. I ended up sitting up on the top of Box Canyon Mountain, looking out over that city day after day, while the money disappeared at a faster clip by far than it was coming in. Jan finally said, okay, I'm getting a job. And she became the vice president of operations for the Anaheim Hospital. It was a health club promo. She had a program, and we still have it in our garage as a memento. It was a business plan that we could put into operation this next week, and within 30, 60 days, we'd have an income coming in of over $100,000 a month. Lord said no and ran Jan out of the job. So where does the healing come for all of the pains of the past? I'd sit in that house, lay on the carpet, get up at early in the morning and be in the prayer closet by 8 o'clock and lay before God until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, if I don't have a job, God, at least I'm going to bug you all day. <laughs> so I was in God's face all day, every day. Moaning, groaning, complaining, suffering in my sin, demanding that this child live like David and Bathsheba. That child finally died. And the Lord said, now, go back to Washington. I said, no, Lord, I've done Washington. Jan won't go back. Go back to Washington. Pack the house. Jan didn't want to go. She asked God for signs. God gave her the signs. We packed the house, and for the next two months, we lived out of our suitcases in that house, waiting to be evicted. And I'm on my face, crying out to God, saying, I will not leave this house, God, with a debt. I will not leave California with a debt. Either you pay it, or I die in this house, and they carry my bones out. And it'll be all over the news that a man of God starved to death in the house, waiting on God. And then, God, it's your problem. <laughs> so scared in my heart, I couldn't breathe. So terrified, so utterly in despondency, all I could see was myself walking out into that desert and not ever coming back. 
because God wouldn't let me do what I could do. And I was mad. God had the brakes on. And I wanted the brakes released. Give me a chance. At least I can preach. I'll even preach on sin. Just cut me loose. And the chains grew heavier. And I lay before God. You ever lay before God? Hopeless? Burned out? Mad? Playing victim to the hill? See what you've done, God. See the mess I'm in. All I wanted to do was follow you. All I wanted to do was be a pastor. God, is there anything wrong with being a pastor? I thought you called me. Did you call me or didn't you? This is your fault, God. Oh, I mean, I railed at the Lord. Until he answered. Audibly. When I finally told him I'm going to die, he said, good, I've been waiting for you to die. And all the anger of my heart burst out. And I said, God, how can you treat me this way? And he said very firmly, you were bought at a price. You are not your own. And everything in my heart melted. Yeah, it was as though a, a drunk suddenly got sober. A drug addict suddenly did cold turkey in five seconds. I wasn't my own. This wasn't my life. This is God's. That's why all I could say to him was, what do you want me to do? As though God wanted me to do anything. And he said, will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? Yes, Lord. And he began walking out of the room. I could hear him leaving. And I called after him and I said, is there anything else? I only asked that because I didn't want him to leave. He turned and he said, oh, yes, turn the television off. Then I was sorry I'd ask him. (laughs) The agony and the pain came out of sin in my heart. It came out of wanting to have my way. It came out of wanting to use God to accomplish my success. It came out of wanting my life and to be important, and to be respected, and to be somebody. It came out of my determination from childhood that nobody would mistreat me again. That I would be somebody. Came out of sin. All of it flowed out of the the sin of my heart. Wounding me and cutting me and breaking me. We have been made righteous through faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
when we've been made righteous, we have peace. Equivalent to complete healing of our heart. You want to deal with the pain tonight of your heart? Forget about the pain for a moment and identify where it's flowing out of in your heart that is in rebellion against the Most High God. Because pain always comes out of sin. You recognize my not forgiving someone is sin. Because God will only forgive my sins based on how I forgive them for their sins. So holding that grudge, holding that bitterness is sin in my heart and will cause pain to flow out of my spirit. It'll cause me to feel like I don't belong. It'll cause me to feel like everybody's talking about me. It'll cause me to feel like nothing matters. It'll cause me to feel like everything's hopeless. That's what sin does to us. Sin isolates us from one another and from our families and causes division and brokenness. So if we'll stop looking at the pain and we'll stop trying to defend ourselves and we'll finally come into the presence of God and deal with him honestly about the pain of our heart, the sin. He'll deal with the sin. And you'll be looking around and saying, now where'd I lay that pain down at? I better go look and see if I can find my pain. It's, after all, they're my keys. They're, the pain's what keeps me going. I better find my, where's my pain? You'll be looking all over for it and you won't be able to find it because the Lord took it when he dealt with your sin. Because the Lord deals with our sin, he makes us righteous and he gives to us the gift of peace. Peace is the byproduct of forgiveness. But how can I forgive myself? I've been such an idiot. You know, I've expected things I shouldn't have expected. I've been mad at things I shouldn't have been mad at. I've made demands that I shouldn't have made. I've done things to people that I shouldn't have done. What an idiot I've been. I've brought it all on myself. Poor me. Now we could have an alligator weep time, couldn't we? We could have big tears splashing on the floor. Because we've been such idiots. All pain flows out of sin. It is the only source of pain. Either someone else's sin 
or my sin. And the pain God felt was because of my sin. And he said, I'll forgive you, Ray. He said, I'll forgive you. Now, it wasn't that simple. Because sin put a gulf between us and God, and that gulf had to be bridged. We were taken by the enemy, and we were owned by Satan. And God now had to take an action to pay for the broken covenant with his blood. And so Jesus said, I'll forgive you, Ray, but it means I'm going to have to go to the cross and pay the price so that it's not cheap forgiveness. Peace is not cheap. It costs Jesus Calvary. Sin is not cheap. It costs God his only begotten son. So I can come to my wife and I can say, Jan, I forgive you. Not because I'm somebody, but because Jesus died on Calvary. The only basis I have for forgiving a brother or sister for their sin against me is the blood of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they should die for their sin against me. Just like Cain should die for his sin against Abel. The wages of sin are death. Pain in my heart comes out of my sin or the sin of another. The word has been spoken to my heart. I forgive you, Ray, and I now will make you righteous. And now I'll put my peace in your heart. And if a brother sins against me, I can forgive him because of the blood Jesus shed on Calvary. So there is absolute peace then in my heart on every side because I'm holding on to no grudge. I'm holding on to no expectation. I am holding on to one thing only, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that. Look with me at Galatians, the second chapter. Verse 17. Galatians 2, verse 17. If while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. In other words, I can still today go out and sin against God and create great pain in my heart and in my wife's heart. And if I do that, I'm leaving the place of peace. I am leaving the Garden of Eden that I've been restored to. I am becoming a Cain who will not be my brother's keeper, but a brother murderer. 
If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker or a sinner. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So in other words, I cannot deal with my sin by trying to do a better job. I can't make a pledge that, okay, from now on, I'm never going to do that. I can't make vows to God and say, okay, I'm never going to do this again. I promise you, if you'll do this for me, I'll never do that again. That's law-keeping. No, he's asking for something much deeper and much more significant than that. He's saying to us, I want you just to go ahead and die on the cross. I want you to let everything go. Let all the sin go. Let all the rebellion go. Let all the self go. Let me come and live in you. And I'll bring my peace. So now, I don't have pains of the past because it's under the blood. And the Lord has dealt with the sin that was behind that pain, so the pain is no longer there. But now in the current real life situation, I come in and I say, Lord, how long do I have to preach to an empty church building? Now, how long do I? How long, God? Now, this can become very painful to me very quickly. Jan said to me this morning, At breakfast, you know how I feel? I could just spiral down real quick. But you know what, Ray? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sin against God. I'm going to stand by faith today that he is going to do exactly what he promised he would do. And we're going to wait on the Lord. Now, it's interesting. The Lord this morning gave me Psalm 27. Now, if you don't know that passage, it's because you haven't been pushed far enough by God. Psalm 27 says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. If there's anything in my life I've had difficulty with, it's dying while I wait. I don't mind waiting if I have an easy chair and I have a nice book to read. But when I'm on the cross, it's hard. I'm sorry. If I'm sitting at a restaurant, I can wait for you forever while I have my iced tea and hors d'oeuvres. And if you don't get there in time, I'll go ahead and order my dinner. But to wait when I'm bone dry and I'm dying, oh, now that's a whole nother matter. And God has made sure that he's drained out every whiff of moisture from most of our lives. And it's on the cross he wants to know if we'll wait for him.
When the answer is yes, I will trust you. Peace comes flowing into our hearts. Remember, pain is caused by sin. My sin or somebody else's sin. And the blood of Jesus answers both of those. Almighty God, I freely give up to you being a wonderful counselor. And instead I ask you, Holy Spirit, to be our counselor. And I ask, Lord, that tonight we would not be caught in our pain, but would go beyond the pain to look at the sin and to repent of it and to turn from it, that you could flow with healing in our hearts and in our bodies. Mighty God, have your way. And Lord, with joy, I wait for you in an empty church. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, His glory.